Welcome to But Jesus Drank Wine and other stories that kept us stuck. I'm Mead. And I'm Christy. In this podcast, we'll explore the stories that kept us, well, stuck, wanting to drink and not wanting to drink all at the same time. Join us as we show you that freedom from alcohol does not have to mean a life sentence of misery and missing out, but actually means living an authentic life full of peace, joy, and purpose. Hey, babe. What's going on? Oh, this is a good one. This is Girl. an exciting one. This is exciting. It's kind of like, where do we begin when we start thinking about, you know, exploring our relationship to alcohol and understanding any relationship requires first re- understanding our relationship to our minds because that's, that's where it all starts, right? Yeah. And don't you feel like this is like really the key kind of component that makes the way that we coach so much different than a lot of other recovery or however you want to call them methods of ditching alcohol this is where like the real meat and potatoes is right oh yeah absolutely to I mean to change a behavior you know and to feel freedom from something so we're looking for the feeling of freedom from changing a behavior starts with having to change our thinking because if we just change the behavior we haven't really changed how we feel about it then we don't have that relief that we're looking for that peace that we want to you know feel that freedom and so yeah it really starts with understanding you know our minds are our friends and I think you know learning how to find freedom with our mind working with our mind is so key but for so long I didn't even know that my mind was like separate from me yeah what about you no yeah so true like it was it's so funny though you say these things and it's like Oh, okay, but it's like monumentally life-changing when you can come to the realization that you're not what's going on up in your head. <laughs> Gosh. That is that that's the start of freedom. Amen. Like amen. I I, I am not my mind. Wow, that's yeah. huge. Yeah. Yeah. But it's but it's something that I think when we get into the the busy of life and the autopilot mode and we're going and doing and small children and jobs and, you know, all the things that we just, you know, we easily get wrapped up as being the same as our mind and don't realize that the things that we think are affecting how we feel and how we're showing up in the world. And so therefore it's just kind of like directing our lives without our awareness and without our, you know, out of our control. And that is for me, for sure, exactly how I ended up in the nightly, you know, wine cycle that I was in because then it was, okay, like I need relief from all of this conflict that I feel and the noise of my mind was, was so loud. So it's in that awareness that we have that opportunity to do something about it. Yeah. What would you say to the listener and this, and I'm asking this questions because, because this was so me when anybody started talking about like the mind or like cognitive dissonance, dissonance, or like this kind of, you know, mind, even just mindfulness. My first reaction is like, no, 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 that's too woo woo for me. That's like, no, what, like, what, where did you, I guess, is that how you like felt in the beginning and how did you get to the other side? <laughs> well, Christy, how long do you have? Oh my gosh. But no, you're the way, yeah. we should mention that this might be a two or three parter because we have so much to say about this. But anyways, yes. How did you get how did you get there? <laughs> well, yeah. So way back in twenty seventeen, I was in the checkout line at the grocery and on the cover of the magazine. 
I think I don't know if it was like Time Magazine or one of the you know whatever. It was like mindfulness. I I mean I remember seeing this word and it was this picture of this woman sitting there you know doing her like ooh and and I saw that and I'm like oh and it just gave me this kind of like what does that even mean and and there was this just this resistance to it. It felt very woo, very like not anything I would be interested in. So yeah, so that was my first experience. So anyone that would say like if someone had come to me and said, hey, like, you know, just get control of your mind and like what? I don't even know. I don't even know. That doesn't even sound practical. Yeah, 100%. I thought it sounded really woo-woo. And then I had a major resistance to it because to me it felt somehow anti the Bible and anti kind of Christian because of how I think it is talked about in the secular world of the secret and manifestation and all this other stuff, which I'm sure we're going to dive into, but it just felt like, wait, no, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to somehow like all bring it back to the Bible, not realizing, of course, that as you have in our beautiful outline notes here, he talks about this stuff almost a hundred times in the Bible. <laughs> right? I, yeah, I know. And that's, I think that for sure is exactly my experience. It's like, am I even allowed to explore this work? Because for talking about, it does have this, I mean, to me, it has this, you know, Buddhist kind of, yeah flair to it when you think about mindfulness and meditation and all of that that comes along with changing our mind and doing this work for sure I there was that like is this even allowed so I think through turning to curiosity is is always the answer when there I mean whether we're looking at our relationship to alcohol or or anything anytime we feel discomfort in anything that is a great opportunity to turn to curiosity and figure out what is that you know what is that about and that's what the, that's the power, like that's the beautiful, beautiful thing about learning about our minds and how they're working for us or, or against us in a lot of cases by being able to like pay attention to like, what are, what are our thoughts and how are they directing things? Our minds are like our gatekeepers to everything we experience. So whether we have, whether there's something in our external world that's happening that we're kind of, you know, that we're taking in through our senses or we're sensing something internally our mind is the thing that is is assessing it, analyzing it, and making it mean something. That's how our mind keeps us safe, so to speak. It's always like scanning for danger and threats. And so it's that entry point to, okay, quickly, let me make this mean something. And, and then that from there creates, you know, some way that we feel and then, you know, our actions and things from there. And so understanding that, like, I think that was the most mind-blowing thing when I picked up this naked mind and started sort of this work, it was like, wow, okay, like I can see why willpower, you know, trying to change my drinking through willpower when I came at it from the behavior angle, I can see exactly why it didn't work because I'm not looking to get rid of alcohol from my life. I'm looking for a feeling that removing alcohol from my life will provide, which is the, yeah, piece, so the good. piece that I don't feel from the drinking. Of course, the drinking causes you know, feelings we don't want to feel too, like physical things that are, are not good. But more so, what I was wanting to find was peace in my relationship to alcohol or freedom from it. And that meant not just changing a behavior. It meant having to go, okay, you know, what are these thoughts that I think that are influencing, you know, me being able to say first thing in the morning, like, 
I'm not drinking tonight. And then by five o'clock, I'm saying that I'm drinking. That, that was kind of, you know, the beginning for me. Yeah. Yeah. And just knowing, and I think we'll probably like maybe touch on this when we talk more about kind of like how to change thoughts and things like that, but not, you know, knowing now that you can interrupt that step between the thought and actually giving it meaning. Right. And that's so big. It's like, okay, this doesn't have to spiral into a total and complete meltdown. (laughs) We can stop it there and make it mean something else or not give it that meaning. Or, and this was like one of the things that I don't know. Maybe it was Annie. Maybe it was somebody else. Maybe it was you. I don't know. Someone said, let the thoughts float in and like you can also let them float on by and you don't have to grab onto them. You know, you can let them sail on by, let those thoughts go and just kind of move on with something else and choose, choose how you're going to redirect them and choose what you're going to make them mean and all of that, which is so powerful. Yeah, that's what one of my girlfriends had described it as uh, like seeing our thoughts like going down the conveyor belt like at the grocery. Yeah, like, so good one. once you start kind of becoming aware of your thinking, so like, you know, we talk about, oh, I guess we should back up a little bit. Like we talk about like conscious thinking and like the unconscious thinking. So the unconscious mind and the conscious mind. And, um, you know, there's only so much that we are conscious of that we're thinking. And there's so much that's being absorbed subconsciously, unconsciously that gets, you know, gets stored. I mean, I think it's, you know, 11 million bits of data we're taking in every single second, which like 11 million bits of data, but only 50 of those bits of data are we're conscious of. And so that means there's a whole ton of data that we're, just collecting and the subconscious mind stores everything it's ever heard or seen or done or, you know, experienced, it stores it all. And all of that influences the thoughts that we have. And so when we talk about like our, you know, how our thoughts kind of direct our lives, if unchecked or unexplored, it's because it's pulling from all of the past to make these meanings. So when I see my husband roll his eyes at something, you know, an eye roll to somebody else might mean, you know, they have like, but you know, my husband would be like, well, if I see someone roll their eyes, I'm thinking that like they, you know, they have a twitch in their eye or something. Whereas I see it as it meaning, oh my gosh, like he's super annoyed. That that meaning that I assign to an eye roll from somebody. And maybe that's not even a good example because I think most people would somebody yeah. rolls their eyes. No, but the, I know what you're saying. There's yeah. a negative connotation, but it, it, but it truly comes back to like, you know, our meanings, what we make them mean. And through understanding like the thoughts that we have that are repetitive and how those form together to create our be- beliefs, our stories, so to speak, and how that affects everything. It's foundational to everything. Knowing this is there's not a, there's not a day of my life that I don't use this work, so to speak. So yeah. So like, what are the things that influence, like what influences the meanings we make of things? You know, we already talked about like past experience, but conditioning. So to the average, like, like listener that might not remember what subconscious versus conscious mind is like, let's kind of dive into that because I certainly needed a refresher when I was like doing all this. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, our, our, our conscious mind is like, you know, very basically, it's, you know, the thoughts that we're 
aware of the, the thinking that we're doing that we're aware of. And so I'm very consciously right now, you know, thinking and, you know, having a conversation. I'm very like conscious of that. But what you can't see is all of the subconscious thoughts that influence what I'm saying right now or how I'm sitting or, you know, how, how we're engaging together. So it's all of that that is below our, our, our level of awareness. I think at times in my life where the majority of my thinking was on the unconscious, subconscious level, I wasn't conscious even or aware of what I was thinking or, you know, because again, we going back to like how we started, it was, my mind was just, it was me. I, you know, I wasn't separate from my mind. So when you can kind of think about that, does that, does that kind of, is that clear as mud? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. And I like to think of the conscious mind as like the neon billboard thoughts that you can feel and see and hear in your, in your actual mind. Like that, that's how I kind of think of it. And then, yeah, exactly what you said. The subconscious is more just everything that influences why you're thinking those thoughts. And, and it has so many components to it. I actually had a client yesterday and we were like on session eight or nine and she was, she just kept saying, but I know this, like, I Ah. know this, but I know this. And I was like, I know that you know it. I can see that you know it. You're you're really smart. And like, you're telling me back the things. But she's like, but then why am I still drinking? And I was like, because somewhere in your subconscious, you believe that there's still a benefit there. And so that's where we have to get to. And she's like, but I know it. I'm like, but it's different. Yes. No, you're exactly right. That's where the cognitive dissonance comes in. I mean, that's where that conflict and thinking comes in. It's we know it. We can know it with our we can know it with our smart mind, our conscious mind, our, you know, conceptually and intellectually, like alcohol does not, you know, provide any benefit in my life. I mean, I know this is one that I, I spun around for so long. It's like, I know that it, it provides no benefit in my life. I know that. Yet, why do I still, you know, feel in those moments of whatever, like, why am I still pulled to it? Why do I feel like there's a benefit to it? And to your point, that is what is locked down in our subconscious. There's some perceived reward for doing the thing. And that's how it becomes, you know, or gets locked into like a habit loop. Dr. Judd Brewer, I love his work on habit loops. I love, he has this video called Everyday Addictions. And he, and it's just this great little visual of how things become those things that we believe give us, you know, a benefit, how it gets locked in into these habit loops. And it's no different, you know, for alcohol or, you know, anything that we're trying to kind of explore our relationship to and maybe change. And I just, I I think it's being able to think about thinking or as fancy folk say, metacognition, (laughs) it's the term for thinking about thinking, being able to do that and being able to turn to that is, is like really what we do in this work. And it's, amazing. But how do you, how do you get to what those beliefs are? Like those subconscious, if they're below our, I mean, I think this would be my question, right? It's, well, if they're below my level of awareness, how do I find them? How do I know like what my mind is, my subconscious is feeding me as a benefit that's making me want to do the thing that I don't want to do? Yeah. I love that video and we should link it in the show notes, guys. Yes. We should, we should link that one because that's a good one to watch. 
for sure. Yeah, it, it it definitely is one of those two where as we're talking about like changing our thinking, and I think about you know um, in Matthew in Matthew four, like what you know like we can talk about like what the Bible says about the mind and our thoughts, and you know repent because the kingdom of you know Jesus is saying repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent is change your mind, change your mind about something because your mind is that kind of gatekeeper, that gateway to your heart, to, you know, ever, everything else. And even looking at the everyday addictions video of Dr. Ted Brewer is like seeing that as a way to change our thinking when we have, when we come into exploring our relationship with alcohol, I mean, at least I did, it was a very like traditional programming you know, it had, it had recovery, sobriety, alcoholism, AA, rehab, like those were the words. That was the meaning that I had associated to, you know, changing drinking or getting rid of quitting drinking. But even just in being able to be curious and see what are other possible ways of looking at this thing, that's where we feel that expansion and that opportunity to create new meaning. So looking at the everyday addictions video of Dr. Judd's, it's like, oh, well, maybe it's not just this black and white thing, you know, when you, when you talk about, and then it's the same with this naked mind and finding this naked mind. It's, oh, like there's so much more to this. And, and so how do we, how do we do that? How do we figure out what those, those mind stories are that are influencing everything we're doing? how do you coach people through like when your when your client says like i know this but like what do you how do you go from there yeah i mean so i step back and i really like to dog, like dive deep into the whole cognitive cognitive dissonance thing right and so that there is this like internal battle that we're constantly going through that we just until you're aware of it you're just not aware of it right it's like the whole point of what we're all what we're talking about here is like there's one desire that we wake up and we don't want to drink anymore because we know how it makes us feel but then by the time five o'clock rolls around we feel like it needs to be the reward to cap off the end of our hard day and so it's that part that we just don't even realize that that's why we're drinking it you know it's it's and I didn't either like I didn't realize that there were reasons I just thought it was almost I was on autopilot, you know, for so long with the drinking. And so I like to really dive deep into like what those reasons are for why the person that I'm coaching is drinking. And it it takes, you know, it's so funny because I usually start off by trying to like suss out a few of them. But and I'm sure this is true for you, too, where like the more you talk to someone, the longer the list gets. (laughs) But that's because we have to deal with so much of that subconscious conditioning of how that belief of that benefit came to be like, you know, a huge one obviously is the mommy wine culture thing. The fact that like we as moms believe that we should, or that we can, I guess, use wine to de-stress and cope with our kids and that it's the ultimate way to relax and wind and reward ourselves. And that is not something that I even realized was being like, thrown in my face from so many different angles, right? And so that subconscious belief that I needed like wine to be a mom was fed to me from everywhere, friends, social media, TV, movies, like every every which way possible, you know? And it was so incredibly obvious and rife during the pandemic with people needing, you know, putting on Instagram their 
wine because it was really tough to homeschool and all of that stuff, which I'm sure we're going to do a whole episode on because it's crazy. But, you know, so so diving deep into these subconscious beliefs and figuring out like what where that came from and just I think being aware of it, right? Being aware of like, oh, that's a reason that I'm drinking. Where did that come from? Because that's that it might not be the neon flashing lights in your conscious mind of I am drinking this as my reward you know but deep down it's the reason that you're opening the bottle and so starting there I think is so good what about you yeah and I I, what comes to mind for me is I keep going back to like you know the neuroscience that Dr. Judd points to with like we don't do anything we do without there being a perceived reward and doing that and so it's so easy to see how with the conditioning that we are being bombarded, you know, the messaging that we're being bombarded with, bombarded with, gosh, I can't say that word today, you know, constantly the conditioning that we experience, it's no wonder that, you know, those messages around like alcohol, you know, alcohol helps me relax or, you know, I need wine to be a better mom. I need wine to unwind, I need wine to be social, all of those things. And if you think about what's kind of underneath it all, it's like the promise of what that thing, it's how we're going to feel as a result of doing that thing. That's the messaging that we're, you know, absorbing. It's how we're going to feel as a result. But then we come, then we bump up against the reality of what we're seeing. And this is where that cognitive dissonance comes in is that like, I feel like, you know, alcohol is helping me feel all of these things relaxed, connected, you know, less stress, less anxious, helping me sleep, helping me feel all of these things. But what I'm, you know, realizing consciously, cognitively is that actually it's this thing that's actually getting in the way. And once I start looking at like what, you know, once you go into the science and how alcohol affects your body and your brain and your health and all of those things, you're like, oh no, I don't want that. I don't want that. So you can see consciously, I don't want that. But then there's that still, we're fighting against what we, what we want to feel. And that's where it takes. So if I had a, if I had a penny for every time a client said, I know this, gosh, I would be a millionaire because that's what I think is so frustrating in this work. But also knowing that that is, that means that you are doing the work. Like when you can see that, you know, this, but there's this discomfort that means there's a conflict in your thinking. So let's talk about it. Let's figure out where that conflict is. Does it really help me relax? Well, let's find the truth, you know, and explore that. Find my, get some clarity on the truth. Find the evidence for or against this. Not from a, I'm trying to prove this a certain way, but from a place of pure curiosity, that's where we, that turned curiosity is actually what allows us to get out of the stressful feeling that we feel from the conflict. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, that statement. Like we do literally everything that we do to feel a certain way, everything, including pay taxes and go to the dentist, right? No matter what it is, we're doing it to feel a certain way. And, and it's something that I just kind of, I think missed when I was drinking, right? I didn't realize that I was, I mean, I guess like, of course I knew that I wanted to do it to relax, but I didn't know, I think the extent of what was in the subconscious lockbox. I don't know what we're, whatever, however you want to call it. I didn't know how much was in there. <laughs> so much. 
yeah, 11 million bits of data every second and only 50 are conscious. Like that's so much. It's, I mean, that's what I, I find so fascinating about this. It's like, well, and that's what was super helpful for me on this journey and realizing like, okay, it's not my fault that I'm in a place where I want to drink and I don't want to drink. And I, and I say, I'm not going to drink, but then I find myself drinking my life, you know, three years ago. Like it's not my fault because of this conditioning that happens are the programming of our minds through all this messaging that I would have told you I was immune to. Like I would have said that like, there is no way that these, you know, these Super Bowl commercials that, you know, they pay, you know, millions of dollars for and think about what they're, you know, promoting mostly in those commercials and what is the feeling behind what they're, the message they're sending. Like here, drink this, you'll be relaxed, drink this, You'll, you'll feel, you know, it's status and glamour and connection. It's all about those feeling states and, and, and being able to kind of zoom out and get curious about what are those messages that have maybe influenced me. And, and also like, it's that turn away from, there must be something wrong from me, something wrong with me that I'm in this place where. I'm not, a, you know, I, I have this relationship with my drinking that I don't like. Well, it's no wonder you've just got yeah. these competing thoughts there. And just doing this work is what allows us to find the freedom. Like changing the thinking literally is, you know, addiction to our thinking is greater than addiction to our drinking. Change the thinking will change the drinking. Yeah. So good. So good. And it's, you know. I like to say it's like going forward from here. It's not our fault thing. Like it's almost, it would be weird if we didn't. Yes. That's such a good way <laughs> you know of saying I mean? it. Yes. It would be so weird if we didn't as moms in this society, even though we live in different countries, get hooked. You know, I was at the movies and it was an animated, I don't even know what it was. It was like Minions or something recently. And there was a, you know, a commercial before the, before the movie that was just a grandfather and a grandson and they were like passing a flask back and forth and around the fire and it was like I don't know a whiskey or I don't even know what it was but it was I leaned over to my husband and I said and they're selling connection they're just selling connection and you know my kids are 10 and 12 and maybe they're not they're they're not consciously aware that there's an advert in front of them saying that in order to like be close to your family, you should buy this kind of whiskey, but it's in, it's now in the lockbox or whatever we're going to call it. We need to call it, come up with a good name for it, but like it's, it's in there, you know, and it's it, stored. And it will, it will, it's stored and it's going to compound with a bunch of other stuff they're going to see probably on YouTube. <laughs> well, you're, yeah. And it's, it's going to create the lens from which they see everything. It's, it influences that lens for, through which we look at things and make decisions about things and show up. You're exactly right. And my, my husband loves Yellowstone and so do I, <laughs> it's yeah. And it, I watch it. Do you watch it? Oh yeah, I do. I do. We watch it together, okay, okay. but I've gotten to the point where it's really hard to kind of watch, you know, some of these, it's really hard to watch TV because the alcohol is so, I can see right behind, you know, like I see behind, I'm like, why are they selling? I mean, John Dutton has, you know, the whiskey and Beth and Beth is, you know, she's kind of a mess, right? But like, they're also glamorizing her 
excessive drinking mm-hmm. and all of those things. Yeah. And of course, like not that my kids would be around when we were watching Yellowstone, they would not. But if there is a, you know, a commercial with alcohol, it's funny how my kids are like, oh, they look at me because I'm like, oh, like, why are you selling it this way? It's not, it's lies. It's not true. Yeah. But just thinking about how influential that is without our awareness, you know, and then being able to pay attention to it. And that, that's something that I'll have, I recommend to folks like trying, like start paying attention to like ask yourself the next time you're watching TV, notice where you see an alcohol commercial or if there's alcohol in the show, what is the product behind the product? So like, what are they trying to, they're they're trying to sell alcohol. It's, I mean, those products are placed very intentionally in TV shows and all of those things, movies. What are they trying to sell as a result of that? Like what's behind that? Just get curious about that. We were watching Elf the other night and there was a poster in the background of the doctor's office when he was in the doctor's office selling a pharmaceutical product. And I was like, the fact that that pharmaceutical product poster is right there on the screen, it's not because that just adds to legitimacy of this doctor's office, this set. No, like it was very front and center poised. It's, It's an effort to sell something and so thinking of is it a pharmaceutical product that you used to wrap (laughs) not that one (laughs) no yeah Yeah. but I mean and that's I mean that's how it works just Mike yeah my kids don't know maybe what that product is but they're noticing the poster and they're seeing the word and there's a word in it that anyway it's just it's like I don't know if we're allowed to like say these names or not. I don't want anyone to come after me. So I'm not saying the, what the the product is, but it's that kind of stuff that it's like, on one hand, I want to be like, when I first discovered that, like, I want to be fired up about that. But on the other hand, it's like, well, thank goodness. I know what I know now. And, and we can be curious about these things. And, And once we start having that awareness for how we're absorbing messages, how we're making meanings, like how does our mind make things, things mean things. And from the messaging that we're receiving from the, you know, from everything we're experiencing and where do we have that opportunity to change it? It's through paying, bringing awareness to our thinking, bringing awareness to our feeling, our body sensations, our bodies hold so much wisdom and they're always trying to signal to us things that we need. And and they're, they're always trying to communicate to us, but so many of us, I think, are disconnected from that and kind of live in our, you know, live in our minds and the mind kind of runs the show, but not from a always very logical place. Yeah. And I think it's also important to like note really quickly, because I feel like we breezed right past it, is that like this definitely starts as children at home in the family and our family units. And I mean, it starts so young you know, the last belief that had to be killed and die for me was the alcohol to have fun belief. And that started really just, I think, for me with the fact that it was always at parties at home, you know, like, not that like my parents were having rangers, but like Thanksgiving and Christmas and my mom loved to host and there, you know, that it's just intertwined then with fun and it's intertwined with holidays and Christmas and everything like that. So, all of that is like in the lockbox and we don't even realize it. So true. Yeah. And, and, and as we're experiencing that conditioning and forming these meanings and that's, you know, and then we get to this point where we're like, okay, like this isn't working for me. And so I know that alcohol is getting in the way of 
everything, you know, that I want to experience in life. And yet I still feel this, you know, that's where we experience, you know, the, the cognitive dissonance that we touched on that internal conflict where it's like, you know, I, I, I know this, but I also feel this it's in conflict. That place is painful. And that's the place where we then to, to ease that pain, start looking for confirmation for what we're feeling. And which brings us to like, but Jesus drank wine, you know, like that is, that was my, that was my story. When I noticed the conflict of like, I, I don't want to drink anymore. It's getting in the way of my life, but yet I feel like I want to drink, you know, searching for, not that I actively search for it, but finding that confirmation. Oh, but Jesus drank wine. So it's okay. That was kind of that way of trying to ease the pain of this conflicted thinking or that conflict of between how we you know think and what we desire. And so, you know, once we understand what that looks like for us, that's where we have the ability to kind of change it through, again, like awareness and curiosity. I mean, I think those are words that I get sick of saying because, but they're, that's yeah, what we need. It's so important. Mm-hmm. It's so important. It's so important. And I think, you know, the curiosity and awareness of all, all this stuff takes different amounts of time. I think that's something that I'm asked a lot, right? It's like, well, how long does it take? Give me, give it to me in days, you know, and it's just not the way it, it, because we're programmed differently and because we have so many different like experiences and things coming into our lockbox, we have to experience like so much of, I don't know what the word is, like untwining, untangling, (laughs) and thank you, untangling these, these beliefs and the things in our subconscious and running them through the lens of is it true or not? And I think it's, you know, I think we're going to talk about this in the next episode, but I think it's so cool as Christian coaches is that when we're, when we are diving into this, you know, what's going on in your subconscious and what's going on in your thought life and like, how can we change that in all of this? Like we have a book that we get to run it all through, right? And we have truth that we get to run it all through, which is so good because it's a lot it's just a lot easier to dispel a lot of what's going on up here. Oh my gosh. I know. Does that make any sense? It did. No, it's like, no, I know. I think of it all the time. I'm like, we as, as Christians have this, like when we're, when we're looking at our beliefs and what, you know, where we, where, where they're limiting us. And so we're looking for clarity and we're looking for like that evidence and we're exploring that and we're getting curious. It's like, I, I, I know I'm like, gosh, as Christians, like, we're really lucky because we have this cheat sheet of the truth. Like I have this place to go to, to find the truth. And that evidence, you know, is fast tracks us to being able to go, okay, like now I know this, like how did, you know, how did the belief that alcohol is fun, like you doing the work that you've done, you were able to see how it was influenced from just what you saw, you know, kind of growing up same for me, but now I can turn to, is it really fun? Well, let me collect evidence for that. Let me find the truth of that. Not that that's, you know, explicitly, you know, written out in the Bible, but, but through repenting, through changing my mind, through exploring that, does it, is it really fun? Well, when I go out, you know, when I drink again, I'm going to be curious about that. I'm going to observe. I'm going to think about like, is this fun? How long is it fun? Is it fun what does fun mean? What does fun look like? You know, all of these questions that, that we can use to, to, to find the truth. 
but it is it is lovely that we have a cheat sheet in the Bible. Yeah, and I wanna I wanna mention the famous you know the 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 verse that when I read it I was like oh it is in here right is the Romans twelve two which we know it if we grew up in like by Sunday school you know do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and. When I came across that, I freaked out because I was like, oh my gosh, it is here. <laughs> I know. But then I went and then I went and I looked up the message version because I just love the message. And it says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so good because that is exactly what we have done when it comes to drinking. We've become adjusted to our culture because of all the subconscious conditioning and the Bible says, hey, that's not what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to take every thought captive and you're supposed to run it through the lens of what Jesus says, not what all this conditioning says. Yeah. What the, what culture says. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is just, I don't know. So cool. <laughs> it's, it's so powerful. I know I didn't make, I didn't make that connection myself until after I'd found freedom from alcohol and it was, Same. and it was, it was one of those where it was like, ah, yes. Like this is the explanation that I like this explains what I did, even, even though I didn't know that that's, you know, necessarily exactly what I was doing, but that explains it right there. And that's where such a great example of like the truth being right there in the Bible. So no, it doesn't say like alcohol is not fun, but thinking about it from this lens, oh my gosh, it makes so much sense. There's the truth of that. And, and using that as, you know, to, to aid us in that it's, it's huge. Similarly, like how did, like when we talk about, I know meditation is something that I want, you know, we can get into because I was thinking about too, like how, when we think about mindfulness and how it's like, oh, like, you know, is this anti-Christian? Is this, is science anti-Christian? Like, am I even allowed to do, you know, mind work and look at the science and all of this kind of stuff? And then similarly with meditation. But of course, you know, and the point is that we made earlier that it's, it's of course, of course we can, because it's all gifted to us from the Lord. It's not separate from, you know, and so thinking about meditation and how that was something that, again, it's like, wait, if if that's a way for me to access kind of my thinking and find that space. So, you know, if, if someone's like, well, how do I you know, take my thoughts captive. Well, you know, starting with finding that space between yourself and your mind, seeing yourself as separate from your mind, you know, being the observer of your thoughts, as Eckhart Tolle would say, like that's kind of the very first place to start. And some people would call that through meditation, but you know, we have different, again, different meanings for what those things mean. But that was something that was huge on my journey is kind of venturing into this meditation world, if you will. What about you? Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. I didn't realize I was always, again, like we kind of started off by saying like weary of this whole thought until I realized that it worked. But then when I found out that was also like exactly what we're being called to do as Christians is to run everything through truth and not, and it's, and it's also, sorry, going off on a little bit of a tangent here. Like this is also how we break shame, which I know we'll get into at a later time, but this is how we break shame, right? Because we don't have to be stuck in the thoughts of the past and we don't have to be stuck in, in the fact that it's our fault and we're somehow damaged because we can't control alcohol, you know? And so it's, 
it's so powerful for that as well. And again, like I just sometimes think, how do people do this whole mindfulness thing without the Bible? Because, because we get to battle all of the thoughts with actual truth that we get to hold in our hands, you know? So I don't know if that answered the question, but I just think it's so, so cool that this work runs parallel with what we're taught as Christians. Yeah. What we, yeah. What we know to be true. And, and it's interesting. Yeah. Touching on shame. And that's for sure something that we could spend 17,000 episodes on because I think it's so huge. And I always love to say that I'm, I was that person that's like, I didn't have shame, which by the way, and I think I've said this on other episodes, like I didn't have shame, but the people that say that they don't have shame are probably the people that have, that are controlled by it the most because they're so yeah. disconnected from that realization that, that, that even exists. But, and you think about shame being kind of, you know, shame is that weapon of the, of the enemy, you, you know, using, you know, different eyes for which to view things. If you think about shame as the perception of how we're being perceived by somebody else, it's looking through somebody else's eyes and making that our truth versus looking through the eyes of the only one who matters, looking through the eyes of the Lord, which comes through the truth in the word. Like, who does he say I am? Who does, who does, you know, what is his perception of me? And I think getting into kind of like what one of our, you know, applications of like how, how to do this work. One of the exercises of through meditation, it's in that turning to, okay, like looking through the eyes of the Lord versus the eyes of anybody else out there. And through doing that, it, it changes our, changes our thinking and finding that space means for me, like it started for me of, you know, like stillness, solitude, silence, like quiet time. Like I did not have any breaks from music or phone calls or people, or there was always, you know, something going on. And I didn't realize that as long as I was living in that kind of like distracted space that I didn't have the opportunity to even, you know, figure out what my, what my thinking was, what my thoughts were. So it started very simply for me in kind of, okay, like, what does it look like to meditate? Well, to me, it means sitting and being and being silent and still and alone. Psalm 4610 was my like first meditative kind of experience and doing that like in a diminishing prayer kind of way. And that, you know, has continued as a great anchor for what it means to find that space between my thinking and being caught up in it and, you know, presence. Yeah. Yeah. So good. And I think we're going to get into more of kind of like how we can be aware of our thinking and how we can change our thinking and what this, how this like really gets down to the nitty gritty of like changing our drinking. And I think we still have neuroplasticity to talk about. And so we'll do that, I think, probably in our next, in our next one, right? Because there's just so much more, but I think if we can leave anybody that's listening to this with just like the encouragement that you're not your thoughts and just to start getting really curious and aware of what you're thinking and where that might have come from. And, you know, for me, I think I'm not like a huge journaler, but I, I do like to write. And so 
for me, I think a lot of this came out in writing in response to different like Bible studies. And there's a really good one called Keys to Freedom or I know I'm always like banging on about the new, like the Jenny Allen, get out of your head, but there, there are like some really good studies. And so I think in response to seeing the like biblical truth line up with this stuff and then writing responses out was really helpful to me too. So we can kind of, yeah, get into all that stuff. Yes. In our next one next week. So good. Yes, girl. Love it. Yeah. Thanks for joining us y'all. Thanks for joining us, y'all. And we do have a community. I'm going to say that. We have a community that's kicking off. So if you head over to our website, you'll be able to find kind of where you can get connected with us and where you can meet other listeners and all that good stuff at www.butjesusdrankwine.com. You can also watch all the episodes there. So, yeah. Let's keep the combo going. Let's keep the combo going. Stay curious. Yes. (laughs) Bye, Bye. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. You can find all of our episodes at butjesusdrankwine.com and make sure you follow us over on the gram at Love Life Sober with Christy and Mead at I'm Not Sober, I'm Free underscore. To learn more about what we do, you can visit our websites at meadhollandshirley.com and lovelifesober.com. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it with a friend or two. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't have to worry about missing a single episode. And if you love what we're doing, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. This helps more women who are feeling stuck and alone in the overdrinking cycle to find hope and encouragement. Thanks, ladies. We so appreciate you. We'll see you next week.